This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Thank you. Um, thank you all for joining us today at Moraine Valley Community College for our premier event celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. I'd like to welcome the college's students and staff as well as anyone from the community who is here joining us today. I'd also like to acknowledge in our audience our Vice President, uh, Andrew Duran, who's back there, our uh, Dean of Student Support Services, Yolanda Isaacs, and whoever else. I know I'm going to be thanking Dr. Sylvia Jenkins in a moment, but thank you all for being here. Uh, as I said, I'd like to uh, thank our hosts, um, Troy Swanson and, and uh, Dr. Jenkins, for hosting this event today. My name is Arlene delapaz Kane, and I represent the Multicultural Student Affairs Department here at the college, and it is my pleasure to introduce our speaker for Hispanic Heritage Month, Anita Alvarez, who I personally sought as a fine example of a Hispanic woman with admiral leadership qualities to speak about her leadership in our community. Anita is a very busy woman these days as a Democratic candidate for Cook County State's Attorney's Office, and I thank her for taking time out of her busy schedule to be here. As a Hispanic woman myself, I am very proud of Anita's achievements that have preceded her campaign, they being the following. Anita presently holds the rank of Chief Deputy State's Attorney, the third-ranking post in the Cook County State's Attorney Office, and she is the highest-ranking Hispanic attorney to serve in that office. She began her career there in 1986. Nita has steadily worked her way up through the ranks, serving as the Chief of Staff to the Cook County State's Attorney's Office, Chief of the Special Prosecutions Bureau, Deputy Chief of the Narcotics Bureau, and Supervisor of the Public Integrity Unit. She also spent more than three years in the Gang Crimes Unit prosecuting gang-related homicides. She is known for successfully prosecuting Patrick Sykes in the 2001 Girl X case. Anita is the second vice president of the Chicago Bar Association, and in 2009, she will become its president. She is a founding member and was president of the National Hispanic Prosecutors Association. And in 2004, she was listed as Chicago's top 10 women in law, and in 2007, she was selected as Chicago Lawyer Magazine's Person of the Year. Indeed, it was her leadership abilities, legal knowledge, and personality which which brought her to these positions and achievements. But I'd like to add those characteristics that I recognize as being Hispanic, they being family and community commitment, gratitude and humility for God's gifts and graces, and one more that I heard from a speaker on this very campus some time ago. Dr. Jeffrey Arnett was here to speak about the 10-year study that he had done on the emerging adult student population. Upon comparing different groups of students and their relationships with college and community, Dr. Arnett said about Hispanic students that when given an opportunity, when given a hand, a Hispanic student will not simply respond with what's in it for me, but with what's in it for us, the group, the whole. With that said, I believe what Anita does and what she does so well is demonstrated by that Hispanic characteristic for the good of all people, all cultures, and all groups. And with that, I introduce Anita. Okay. Well, thanks so much for taking your time to come out and listen to me today. I want to 
thank the uh, administration here at Moraine Valley for allowing me to address you and especially to Arlene here for setting it all up. Um, as Arlene said, um, I am uh, the Democratic nominee for Cook County State's Attorney, but uh, I am a, an, assistant, well, an, an assistant state's attorney already. Uh, I have been there for 22 years, spent my entire legal career there uh, fighting for the victims of crime in Cook County. That's what I do every day when I go to court and put my name on the record. But I was born in uh, Pilsen in the city of Chicago. I grew up in uh, a very humble home, uh, very, very humble beginnings. My dad came here. He's a waiter. Uh, that's the job that he always had. My mom was a seamstress, and it's kind of ironic that now um, I, can't, I can barely sew a button on, but uh, my mother could make everything. Um, so I know what it's like to grow up uh, with, in simple means and, and simple times and know what it's like to struggle financially. And certainly uh, no one in my family was a professional. No one ever went to college. And I was the, the youngest of three, but the first to go to college and to finish and then uh, go on to law school. And it's it, uh, for my parents, they stressed education when I was a child, the, the, how important it was. But even when I finished college and decided to go to law school, my mom couldn't really understand that. Um, and I remember the first semester of law school where I was up all night uh, doing a memo, physically up all night doing a memo. And uh, she got up and she said, what's the matter with you? you? I went to bed. You're here typing. I wake up. You're still here typing. Um, you're supposed to marry a lawyer, not be a lawyer. Um, and I'm like, no, Mom, I can, I can be a lawyer too. Trust me. Um, and, but then she turned around and made me breakfast because that's what moms do, right? So even though she sometimes couldn't understand uh, what I was doing or why I was doing it, I know that she's very proud of me. And since my parents had both passed on, I know they're up there looking down after me. Uh, but it was a last-minute decision on my part to go to law school, but I'm so happy that I did. I was a social work major in undergraduate at Loyola University, and I always felt that I wanted to help people, that I wanted to do a job that I really, truly felt I was in a position to help people. And uh, I was very active in college with the Latin American Student Organization, and we used to have not bake sales, we used to have taco sales. We made lots of money on those taco sales in the, uh, in the cafeteria of Loyola University, but we always gave back to our community. We used to have clothes drives and coat drives and, and took them back to the parishes that uh, we're in Pilsen and Humble Park. And so that was something that I always felt was in me because um, you can't forget where you came from and you can't forget um, that there are people behind you that are now looking up to you. And so as I went through law school and got into the state's attorney's office and really got in to do a job that I truly enjoy, I thought that this, this is for me. And so when the opportunity came around last year, last August, when my boss decided not to run again, uh, that I could, I could do this. And although when I decided to do it, let me tell you, there weren't a lot of people backing me. Um, in fact, everybody was pretty much telling me, no, you can't. Um, you can't. How are you going to do this? You're not a politician, number one. You don't have the money. You don't have the organization. You don't um, have what these established politicians have. And at one point, my, my campaign manager, early on in the campaign, um, had a conversation with uh, someone in the legal community downtown, and, and they started talking about the state's attorney race, because at that time, all the names started to pop up as who was going to enter this race. And uh, he told them that he was going to work with me, that he was going to uh, work on my campaign. And this particular person, who I won't name, said, well, who's going to vote for an Alvarez? 
um, you know, who's going to vote, and this is a quote, for a Mexican broad? And uh, my campaign mayor, I won't tell you exactly what he said, but, uh, uh, you know, he did uh, indicate that he said, well, I am her campaign manager, and, and uh, she's going to win this race, and you just wait and see. And so as we went along in the campaign, um, I felt very good about my chances because what I felt good about was regardless of what the established politicians were thinking or what they were saying, um, I felt when I went to the communities and I spoke to people and I spoke to groups that that's where I was resonating and that's who was shaking their head when I was speaking and those were the people shaking my hands and those were the people telling me they were going to support me. And it didn't matter that the top guys weren't there because it was the voters that count and that's what counts. It's the voters that count. You're your voice counts. And so the, as I went along in this campaign, and this is a big county, believe me, this is a big county. Everywhere I went, I felt that I had a good chance. And we did some polling in December, last December, that showed that I was in a position to win. And if you saw my commercials uh, that finally went up in the air last January, I think that did help because it, it allowed me to reach more people um, with those commercials. And so, in fact, my children were in the one commercial, if anybody remembers them. And one of my opponents actually asked me if those were really my kids. And I said, yes, they're really my kids. I didn't rent them for a commercial. They're truly my kids. So uh, when we won on election night, I could tell you it was really a great feeling. Uh, it was a great feeling to prove all the so-called political experts wrong. Uh, that was a good feeling. But more importantly, I think um, what my candidacy has represented, it has represented a lot for a lot of people. Uh, women, number one. Uh, and regardless of who you supported in the primary, whether it was Hillary or Barack, we have to be very proud of what Hillary did because she truly did put 18 million cracks in that glass ceiling. And I'm very proud of how far she went. And I think, you know, we see um, with Barack's candidacy, the excitement, the, the absolute utter excitement of having someone who doesn't look like the standard politician or the standard guy out in Washington or what we've used to, what we've been used to seeing. And with my candidacy as well, there's never been a woman state's attorney in the history of Cook County, certainly no Hispanic ever. So this, it's exciting uh, to be in this position, but also know that it's in a position where I need to continue to give back to the people, and I need to continue to give back to you. And I'm very proud of my heritage. And, you know, back to, uh, you know, I think there are people who will vote for an Alvarez, you know, and they'll vote for a Gonzalez and a Ramirez too. And the more and more we as a, as a community get educated and, and, and get into those positions where we could be in a position like myself. We're going to see change. We're going to continue to see change. Education, and you, I don't have to tell you because you're here, so you know, is so, so important. Uh, without it, um, you're not going, in my opinion, to achieve what you, can, what you should achieve because it's the one thing that puts you on the level playing field. You know, I, you know, I come from simple means and humble beginnings, and we didn't have any money. And I got scholarships and grants to go through undergraduate. I took out loans for law school. It took me 10 years to pay them back, but I took out loans. And, and all because I know that once I got my degree, I could be on that level playing field. I could be at the board table. I could be at the top of this office or any office that I've been. But without the education, I wouldn't be here. So it's very important, and it's good to see the students here today listening to me. But it's good that you're here, number one. 
because you, and I'm sure there are many people here, are first generation, and, and your parents are very proud that you are here. And sometimes, though, I also know there are things that you have to go through um, to make your parents understand just how important it is for you to have that education and how important it is for you to continue to achieve what you can achieve. I was reading uh, an article the other day, and it says that, you know, the Hispanic population is the second largest in, or I'm sorry, it is the largest in the United States. 48 million Hispanics make up our United States. But the numbers are low when it comes to undergrad, uh, comes to undergraduate as well as law school, particularly law students. And I was looking at those law school numbers, and they're only they're in 4.9 percent, 5 percent. They're very, very low. And there are numbers that I truly wish that I could see an increase of, because you know we should uh, aspire to be more, to do more. And after college. I think you guys should think of that, uh, you know, graduate degree, uh, professional degree, law school, medical school, whatever it might be. Don't stop with the undergraduate degree. We need you in law school. We need you in medical school for so many reasons. I like to see those numbers increase. Um, I was a founding member of the National Hispanic Prosecutors Association, and uh, we were, uh, when we first started, which was 10 years ago now, uh, we had maybe 20 members, and every year we see an increase, and every year we see an increase, and I was out in Los Angeles recently, and they have over 100 Hispanic attorneys at the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office, which is a lot more than we have. We have, right now, the number is about 46. Um, I'd like to see those numbers in Cook County increase. I'd like to be able to uh, interview, and when I do that interview process, you know, see more minorities coming uh, into interview for our office because it truly is a great job. It's a great job to be in. I think this month when we celebrate our heritage, um, it's very important that we know we're at the table, that we know we are part of everything that this country offers. And what makes this country so special is the diversity, is it not? It, it really is. Uh, we have the ability uh, to, to learn about different cultures, and be it food or music, whatever it might be, and we're all together and we should all be together. And so I think overall this particular time, this election period is very, very exciting and we see change everywhere we look. I know that's been the magic word uh, for change, but I was at the convention in August in Denver. And I could tell you the feeling um, on the floor uh, on Thursday uh, when Barack spoke, and we were lucky with the Illinois delegation to be right up front and center. We had the best seats in the House. Uh, it was very exciting. It was very exciting to hear him speak, to see him up there, to see his wife, to see Michelle, to see the children. And, and it, the whole feeling inside of that stadium was so electric. Um, it, was, it was an awesome place to be. I'm very happy I was there. I've never been to a convention before, so there's been a lot of firsts. But it's a very exciting time for us. But I think we as Hispanics have to realize that, yes, we, we should be at the table. We can achieve. And, and, you know, we see Obama now, but, you know, in years to come, you know, let's see a Gonzalez. Let's see a Garcia. Let's see someone running, taking that chance. And it hasn't, you know, my campaign hasn't been easy, and I've, I've had to convince a lot of people, uh, but I always maintain that I was the most qualified, and that's the key. You, you are the most qualified, and you can get yourself in that position. So I think uh, it's really refreshing to see.
see the faces that I see here today um, in this particular community. And it's something that we, again, need to strive within our, you know, the generations coming up behind us. Because that's the other thing that I have learned. There are some politicians up th uh, out there who have climbed that ladder, but they've pulled it up. And they're not leaving it down, and they don't really want anybody coming up behind them. Uh, that I don't. I, that is not the way I believe. That's not what I think. I think that ladder needs to stay down. I think once we achieve and once we reach the top in our professions, we have a duty to be a mentor for those coming up behind us. And that ladder needs to stay down. And we need to help people behind, you know, behind us to come up. And that's why it's, I always like talking to law students or to high school students or to college students because I think it's really, really important. And I think it's important for for you uh, to see someone in my position but more importantly for me to see you guys coming up behind because that is what uh, is going to get us to where we should be uh, within this particular country. I, uh, I Again, I, there's been so many different uh, events going on this month for Hispanic Heritage, and I think it's great. And it, it goes back to what you know, Cesar Chavez said, si se puede, yes we can. And I think that's something that we always have to keep in mind, that yes we can. Um, even when you know, the going gets tough, even when it looks like the odds are against you, we got to keep saying, si se puede, si se puede, yes we can. And I, I have a microphone, so I, I can't help myself, but I am a diehard White Sox fan, and I see that shirt, so I got to say something. I was happy with the win yesterday, and I, <laughs> I'm, hoping, I'm hoping for another win today. You know, so um, with that, I, I will end, and uh, go White Sox. <laughs> Are there any questions for Anita? There you go. I did. I did get to meet him finally. It was actually that same Thursday. And um, there was a, a luncheon at the hotel for the women for the Illinois delegate, delegation. And it was, a, it was kind of a small lunch. And we were eating lunch, and uh, Lisa Madigan was speaking. And she, you know, and Lisa's a very good speaker, but she was going on and on and on. And everybody was wondering, what is she doing? And, and what we didn't know, it was because the Secret Service was closing off all the doors uh, because Barack was about to walk in. And so finally Lisa got the, got the uh, word and the doors opened and Barack came in. And, um, and so he spoke just briefly to the women from the Illinois delegation. And then everyone got to shake his hand. So uh, when I shook his hand, I took the opportunity to say, you know, you have a chance to vote for me as well as me voting for you. And, uh, and he laughed and he said, oh, Anita, I'm very proud of you. And, and I said, you know, I had to take my opportunity because, I mean, I don't think it will ever happen again where the next president of the United States would have a chance to vote for you as well. So I thought, for me, that was pretty exciting. Um, but he spoke to us that Thursday. So uh, that was uh, my only opportunity to meet him. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? Four years ago today, my uh, neighbor, Antonio Manrique, was uh, beaten to death by the Blue Island Police Department. Wow. And the uh, Cook County Medical Examiner ruled that, that was a homicide, and the state's attorney's office hasn't uh, uh, filed any prosecution on this issue. Mm -hmm. I was wondering how you would handle this case as a state's attorney. Well, you know, I don't have any personal knowledge of the case that you're talking about, but it obviously it's, uh, for a specific case, you would 
I would have to talk to you one-on-one, -on -one, and it's something that I think as far as w the general question about police brutality and cases that we handle, you know, I supervise that public integrity unit, and um, under my supervision when I was the boss, um, 57 police officers were charged with various crimes. I personally tried and convicted three Chicago police officers from that now infamous SOS unit that we hear the new indictments coming out of. I convicted those three on home invasion, armed robbery, official misconduct charges. So I'm not afraid of those cases. I will tackle those cases. Um, you know, police officers take an oath to do a job, and that's what they're supposed to do, and there are some bad apples. There, there are, and, and I've seen them. So um, I'm not afraid of those cases. I, I don't know the facts of that specific case that you're talking about, um, but those are cases that we will continue to look at. We will continue to handle. We have... Um, developed a new unit in the office uh, called Professional Standards, which looks into the police brutality issues. Uh, public integrity looks at the bribery, that sort of thing. Uh, but the, the brutality issues were this excessive force. Uh, we have a unit now that wasn't in effect, you know, 15 years ago that actually looks into those, those types of cases. So we will stay on top of those cases. We will continue to do it. I'd like some more uh, manpower and investigators for those units. Uh, again, that, well, that's fighting with the county board, and that's a whole separate issue. You know, as far as law, like I said, I was an undergraduate major in social work. I started taking some criminal justice classes that I just really enjoyed. And um, I had a police officer who taught one of my classes. Uh, and I think it was her who kind of put the bug in me. She kept saying, you know, you should go to law school or you should become a police officer. I think you should, you know, kind of direct your attention to the criminal justice side of things. And I did enjoy those classes tremendously. And so uh, that is how I ended up, instead of going for a master's in social work, I decided to go with law. But even early on in law school, I knew that the case, I mean, the classes that I liked were the criminal classes uh, more so than corporations and contracts. So uh, that's why I chose to do what I do. Mm -hmm. And politics, you know, for me, obviously I have to run for this office. And so I have to uh, go through a whole political campaign. But I think my office is different because it's an office that even though it's an elected position, it should not be a political position because our office, think about what we do. And we have a great power. We have the power of the grand jury. We have the power to subpoena, the power to indict people, to charge people. That's an awesome power. And that should not, in my opinion, that power shouldn't be in the hands of someone who is not going to make the judgment call based on the facts and the law and the evidence because you don't want someone making calls for political reasons. And that's why I felt I was the most qualified because I am a professional prosecutor and I do know how to run this office and I've had the experience um, and I will make my decisions for the right reasons in the professional way as opposed for some political reasons. You know, many um, jurisdictions uh, have their prosecutors, their top prosecutors, who are appointed, okay, not elected, you know, we, and most of the jurisdictions, I can name Los Angeles, Miami, um, Houston, 
all those people who are the top DAs or state attorneys, whatever they're called, um, tend to be career people like myself, not politicians. But Cook County, we always do things different, right? Um, so I, you know, I don't consider myself a politician, although I got to run for this office. Um, I think for me, this uh, race has been more of a career stepping stone as opposed to some political stepping stone. So I guess someone said, well, in the primary, I kept saying, I'm not a politician, I'm not a politician, and then they kept saying. Well, once you're elected, you're going to be a politician. I still don't really like those words um, because, I, for me, this is really just a, an ability to run the office, an office that I, I have a lot of heart in. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I'd probably be doing some kind of public interest law. Um, I, I always told people that I, you know, <laughs> if I went out on my own, I'd probably never make any money um, because I wouldn't be able to take money from people. Um, so I think it would be some kind of public interest law. Maybe I would uh, get into immigration, um, but uh, it certainly wouldn't be. I don't see myself as a big at a big law firm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I advise you, <laughs> once you get through law school uh, or in law school, um, you should come and clerk for our office. And when you clerk for our office, there's many things that you can do, but it gives you a great, great uh, insight into the jobs that we do and what you can do. And that's the best way to get into the office as far as seeing what we do. And in law school, when you get to the point where you can get what we call a 7-Eleven, which is a limited license to practice as long as you're with a uh, practice attorney, you can do a lot of things. You can do trials. You can do motions. You can be in court and actually do a trial even when you're still in law school. So many of the law students take advantage of that, coming to our office with what's called the 7-Eleven license. And they, they're very excited because they're in court and they're actually trying cases uh, and not just uh, writing memos for some lawyer. Um, so it's very hands-on, the experience that you get with us. And I would just say stay in school. Don't give it up. And we need to see you in law school. Um, and, you know, I do have a, a funny story about law school. Uh, I started in uh, January. Uh, back then, there were some schools that offered, you know, the regular fall starting in September and also a January start. I started in January, so my law school class was much smaller. There was like 75 people in my class. And there was only one other Hispanic, and her name was Alma Alvarado. Anita Alvarez and Alma Alvarado. So uh, the only two in the entire class, okay? And we didn't sit together, and Alma was married. She was pregnant, and, and um, there were professors who would always call me Alvarado, call her Alvarez, and we would always correct them, say, no, I'm not Alvarado, she's Alvarado, I'm Alvarado, you know, and I remember one law professor in particular was like so frustrated because I corrected her again that that wasn't my name, and she's like, oh, same difference. No. Um, and that kind of stuff, I hope today, doesn't still happen. Uh, but there were only two of us in the, out of 75 people. She could have cut us apart. She could have figured out who was who. So I'm hoping that those things don't happen again in law school. Uh, but I, do would I would love to see 
more minorities when I go to speak to law students or when I interview kids coming into our office, um, you know, our minority numbers are low. And uh, they're low coming out of law school, and they need to increase. Um, so once we get those numbers increased, I think there will be more people willing to do the job we do uh, because it is public service, and you don't get rich being a prosecutor. That's a given. But it is truly an enriching job. Mm -hmm. One word. Uh, well, you know, I'm a mom, and I think that's probably the most important job that I have. I have four children, and they keep me running, and they keep me focused. They keep me real. And even all these other things that I do, you know, there's always homework to be done. There's soccer games and hockey games and all of that, and, and that's probably my most important role uh, in life is that of being a mom. With my career, <clears throat> you know, trying um, the Girl X case that uh, was mentioned earlier, and I know some of you may be too young to remember it, but it was a little girl in Cabrini Green housing complex that was brutally sexually assaulted and, and strangled and, and left for dead. And she went from being a normal nine-year-old little girl to being paralyzed. Uh, she's confined to a wheelchair. She cannot seek. She can't. I mean, she cannot see. She cannot speak. A uh, very limited movement in her arms um, and in her head, and um, she testified. And you're probably wondering how did she testify? And um, she spells out all of her words through her eye movement. So in order, her name is Shatoya, and in order uh, for us to talk to Shatoya, we had to learn that special way uh, to talk to her. And if you ask her a yes or no question, she looks up, that's yes. She looks down, that's no. So you know what's yes, you know what's no. And um, But in order to have her spell anything, for instance, her name, you have to give her the alphabet, and the alphabet is broken down in three sections. And so basically you ask her, Shatoya, can you spell your name for us? Yes, I can. Uh, first letter of your name, is it in the beginning? And she'll look down, no. Is it in the middle? No. Is it in the end? She'll look up, yes. So then you know to begin with the end of the alphabet. Then you just start giving her each letter. And when you hit on the appropriate letter, for instance, when you hit on the, e, on the S, she'll look up. And then you know that the first letter of the first word she's trying to spell is S. And that's how you go through uh, all of her words. So obviously, as a lawyer, and you're, ta you're not used to that. You're used to asking the question and the person on the stand a answers you back. Um, so it was, for me, um, the hardest direct examination that I ever did in my entire legal career, but the most rewarding. Because getting to know her, uh, this little girl who, uh, you know, went from running around with her friends and being a normal little girl to having to do what she be in the condition she is now. She has um, a tremendous amount of faith, and, and she's so strong that, you know, I always say, if you think you're having a bad day, you go and visit Toya uh, because you know, you know how lucky you have it. Um, but she, getting to know her, and, and I still have a relationship with her. I go and see her. She's 21. Um, and she wants to be a writer. She'd like to tell her story one day. And uh, it took a lot of strength for her to agree to, to testify in court, but she chose to, to testify. And the case was very special for her, for us, but, and there was never a case like that in Illinois. So it's, it's historic in that respect. But that 
is why I continue to do this job. It's for people like her. And so that is probably the, the greatest achievement. I mean, I've tried many, many cases and, and worked with many victims and, 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 you know, people who have lost their children to gang violence. And, but uh, Toyo is very special, and that case was very special. And, you know, if you don't know about it, maybe if you're on, the, on a computer one day, um, look it up, and you'll find a lot of interesting things, but mainly uh, it's about her, and that's probably the greatest experience I've had in this office. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thanks so much. <laughs> oh, thank you. of our appreciation for you joining us. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.